for this Christmas? One, Jesus, yes, that's a great answer. One of, the, um, one of the things that we do as a family is we talk about, uh, at some of our Christmas gatherings, we talk about hope, we talk about different things that Jesus brings us, but then our conversation actually ends up being closer toward one, asking a variety of different questions, and one of the questions that we almost always ask every single year is, what was your best Christmas ever? Think about that question. What was the best Christmas you ever had? My son always says, this one. I'm like, you're not playing right. <laughs> it's not how you play the game. But think for yourself. Do you have, raise your hand if there's a Christmas that you remember that was just like, that is the stellar Christmas year of my life. Raise your hand if you have like one of those that kind of sticks out. Oh, how depressing. There's like five of you. But as we think about it, you know, for me growing up, there's there many, many different Christmases that I remember, and, and, there, was, and, and there were cr- different traditions that our families had, and I know that you have d- family traditions. One of the traditions that we had, especially when um, my brother and sisters and I were really young, we used to make our own Christmas wrapping paper. Anybody ever do that with newspaper? What, this is what my mom did. Made, this, it's weird, but here's how it went. We took newspaper that my mom would save up over weeks. Then she would take a potato, and she would cut it in half, and then she would take, like, the, you can get the mini cookie cutter shapes, and she would go like that, and then cut around, and you'd have, like, a star. Or Should I put this on Pinterest? You're looking at me like you're clueless. But that's what we did. And then we would dip it in paint, and we'd make all, all our things. And it was so fun. We always looked forward to it. And then I got to be about seventh grade. And then about seventh grade, she comes out with the paper and had all the potatoes ready to go, and... My brother and sisters and I were like, yeah, I think I'm going to go outside. I think I'm going to go do something. And we did something else. And I distinctly remember that Christmas where my mom is sitting on the floor with everything ready to go and none of us helped her. And I remember at the end of that Christmas, she said, well, I guess we won't do this again. And the reason I remember that, not because that was such a sad, pitiful picture, (laughs) but it was just because... It marked in my life and in, in uh, my, my parents' life a progression that happens because this Christmas is different from last Christmas for you. Last Christmas was different from the Christmas before because we change year to year. Everything changes year to year, and there are certain things that change. I remember after that my mom wanting to recapture that moment when we were kids. And so that next year she laid out the paper and the paint and had the potatoes. Now, if you're in eighth grade... Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Well, she sat there again one more year, and then a year after that, she, she didn't do the potatoes, but she had the newspaper, and she stood in front of us and went, anybody? And I just, no, just cried. Because again, Christmas changes. There's a tension that happens with year over year over year with, with Christmas, and it's a tension that you face this year that you faced last year and you'll face next year as well. And the tension is that most of us try to create the perfect snow globe Christmas. We want everything to be perfect about our Christmas. You have in your mind what Christmas should be. Now, each of us have kind of different things, traditions and different things, but we think of Christmas's past and we try to relive those Christmases again this year and especially the great ones. That's why we always say, what's your favorite Christmas? We try and relive those Christmases again. You know, maybe it was that one Christmas 
where he asked me to marry him, or the kids were little, or the kids were home, or that you were together, or you got that one gift, or you got tons of gifts, or you did more, or you did less, or your mom was with you, or your dad was with you, or your child was with you. And you think of those Christmases and say, this is truly a snow globe Christmas. And we do this, we do. We try and recreate a Christmas from the past. Another thing we try and do to try and make this snow globe Christmas is we try and duplicate somebody else's Christmas. We see our life and compare it to somebody else's life and we think, man, I don't have it as good as they do. I can't buy those kind of gifts for my kids. My kids, you know, they don't act as good as the other kids and they don't look as good as they come to church. And we start comparing our life, we start comparing our Christmases to everybody else. And I mean, it's a good thing to create these wonderful experiences for our families and for yourself. That's awesome. But when we start to compare ourselves with others, that's where things start to go wrong. Because as we've said in here many times, many Sundays, there's no win in comparison. And you see that perfect family, and then you realize you don't have the perfect family. And the plans that you have for Christmas, while they're all perfect, plans failed. The ham is overdone. You don't like your gift. You get into an argument again with your sister or your cousin or your dad. And the truth is, there is no such thing as... A, a Christmas that is in a snow globe. That's the truth. And the reason is this, and this is the whole reason that God sent Jesus into the world, the whole reason that he thought of you and he thought of me and he said, this world, this humanity needs a savior is because something that all of us were born with and it's sin. Sin is that relational disconnection that we're all born with. It shows up in your desire for more. It makes you realize that life isn't perfect and that you have made mistakes and people around you have made mistakes. And because truthfully, all of us have had a Steve Harvey moment. <laughs> Poor Steve. We've all read the wrong thing at the wrong time, said the wrong thing at the wrong time. The snow globe life, and this is what you need to know today. The snow globe Christmas, your snow globe life in a bigger sense, it's a myth. It doesn't exist. Now, if you're visiting you know, with us, you're, you're probably thinking, this is the most depressing Christmas message I've ever heard in my life. But wait, I'm not done yet. Think of the Christmas story. If you know the Bible, if you know this Christmas story you know that I just read, it all sounds nice and pretty, but if you dive into the background of what was happening... It's not all that nice. It's not a snow globe Christmas for even the Savior of the world. Because here, Mary, his mom, is, is found to be pregnant outside of wedlock. Joseph and Mary weren't married yet. They were engaged. So there was this big controversy with Mary, who was maybe 12 or 13 at the time. Joseph, maybe 16, 17 at the time. And they come into the village, and Mary's pregnant. Everybody knows about it. And Joseph was going to kind of break up the relationship, and then an angel comes to him and says, no, 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 don't do that, because what's happening is a good thing. The Savior of the world is being carried by your fiancé. 
And then the census happened, and they have to go to 80 miles, 90 miles to this city that they're not really familiar with, and they have to travel, and, and you know, women being pregnant and traveling, you, it's hard enough in a car, isn't it? No cars, no, no nothing. They were either walking, they were in carts, they were up on, on a donkey or a horse. This isn't a snow globe Christmas for them. They get to Bethlehem. Most likely Joseph had made arrangements, but the guest house, the lodging place, there was no room for them in their relative's house, which is another, the, the place that they would have stayed. So they had to be with the animals. Again, not very pretty, not very clean, pretty smelly and messy. And it's in this moment, it's in this situation that the Savior of the world is born. No doctor, no midwife, no nurses, no sterile surgical tools, and ladies, no epidural. Guys are like, what, epo, is that like an EpiPen? Is that ESPN? What is, but there's more that, that's even happening politically. Not only was it a struggle just to be born in this situation, not only was the whole story surrounded by craziness and, and being disconnected and outside of, of, of a, a nice birth and a nice reality, the government itself was looking to kill Jesus. The Roman government at that time had hired a guy named Herod to be king of the Jews, and word spread throughout the area that a king, another king had been born, and Herod, who was older at this point and very insecure, told the Magi, remember this, go find him so I can worship him too, lies to him. And decides to kill all the baby boys two years old and younger. It's called the slaughter of the innocents. Again, outside of Bible records, there's tons of records about the slaughter of the innocents. Mary and Joseph have to run off to Egypt, have to wait there till Herod dies, and then they come back. And then Jesus grows up with a situation where everybody knows that the reason hundreds and maybe thousands of little baby boys were killed in that area was because of him. This isn't a snow globe. This isn't a nice, picture-perfect story. And this is why this whole idea This whole story is so important for you and for me. It all comes down to one name that Jesus was given even before he was born, and it's the name Emmanuel, which means what? Say it together. God with us. God dwelling with you. God comes down with flesh on. And this name is only used once in the New Testament and twice in the Old Testament. And it's always, not only am I going to come down and live with you and be with you, but my purpose is to take you on to something better. That's the definition of this name. God with us coming in. He enters into your life outside the snow globe in order to give you hope and comfort and peace. The name has the purpose tied to it. God in Jesus enters into your brokenness. He enters into your hurt. And I don't know where you are right now sitting in this room. Maybe, you know, you're only here because you're with family and they told you that's what you're doing and so you're stuck here. Whatever it is, he enters into your anger and your hopelessness, your bitterness. He knows what it's like to feel like an outcast. 
He knows what it's like to be disappointed and hurt. Jesus knows what it's like to be a homeless person. The human story is actually outside the snow globe because of sin. But there's nowhere you can go and there's nowhere you can be and there's no thing in your life that's so bad that God doesn't meet you in it. He is Emmanuel here and now for all of us outside the snow globe. And here's the beautiful thing about your story and about, your, and about my story. You ready for this? God is still writing your story, and he's a brilliant writer. And the truth is, the tragedies that you find in your life when you lose a child, when you lose a parent, when the worst things that could happen to you are, are happening in your life, to God, those are commas. They're not periods. Because as long as you are here, God is still writing your story. And the great thing about a snow globe is sitting like this is nice, but when is it beautiful? It's when life shakes. Your life becomes beautiful when it shakes. Because you're reminded that Emmanuel has a purpose for you and a meaning. So let me ask you this. And I want to ask you this, not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents, not your weird Uncle Joe who's here with you. (laughs) What's keeping you from acknowledging your need for Jesus? What's keeping you from embracing a God who loves you enough not to be inside a snow globe looking out, but to come out and be in your life? Because you know that you've tried everything else. Why not this Christmas come back to Jesus or acknowledge him maybe for the first time? Doesn't guarantee life is going to go great. I mean, look at Jesus coming into the world. We just went through it. Life could get even messier. However, you're guaranteed that you're not going through life alone. You're guaranteed that Whatever you're going through now is a tough situation that you can always turn to him because you're in relationship with him because of Christ. There's no other religious system. There's no church. There's no politic or even a way of thinking that can offer you peace. It's only our Emmanuel who's God with us. And it's in him that there's hope in your life and in the world. Now, just a second, I'm going to say a prayer. Maybe you've never really just in your heart said, God, you know, I've been kind of playing games in my Christian life, or I've just been playing games. I haven't even, this, I'm just sort of here because I come to church on Christmas and Easter, and that's about it. And again, it's not coming to church. But maybe there's something this time that you're like, I need you. I need to give my life up for you to take over because I can't do it anymore. I'm going to say a prayer and you can repeat words after me, just not out loud if, if you want, that's fine, but just in, inside of you. And then for those of us who are Christ followers, um, I'm going to say a prayer for us too, that we recommit, that we enjoy the blessings that he gives to us and that we even celebrate the hard times when our life 
shakes. So let's stand as we pray. Father, at different points in all of our lives, we, um, we realize that life isn't a snow globe. And while it's nice to, to duplicate and, and replicate on some levels, ultimately, God, the foundation of our life needs something more than that. And so, God, I want to pray for those folks uh, in the room and listening to my voice on podcast, Father. I just want to pray that, um, I just, just as they just repeat after me, say, Father God... It just doesn't seem like my life is the way it should be, and I'm not quite sure of you. I don't quite get all the Jesus stuff, but I'm tired of doing life alone. I'm tired of trudging through life, not having hope, and just running into walls. And so whatever that looks like, Father, I want to confess to you that I'm, I, I want to confess my sin, Father, and I want to give my life to you. I acknowledge your son, Jesus, who was born 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, rose again, so that I can be in heaven for sure forever. And Father, for those of us, Lord, who um, are Christ followers, God, I want us to, Lord, your Holy Spirit to impress upon our hearts as we go into another year and we celebrate today and, and tomorrow. And I want you, Holy Spirit, to impress upon us those areas of our life that we've been holding back from you. Let us let go and receive you. Father, we love you. Lord God, we pray to you. Lord, I pray that every person understands what it means to have hope, real hope. It's not found in people or things. Psalm 39 says, my hope is in you. The book of Jeremiah says that you have plans to give us hope and a future. And the book of Romans says, you are the God of hope. Even when we suffer, your word says that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. And hope does not fail. On this silent night, we celebrate Christmas, the dawn of redeeming grace, and a life of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.